Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, Jake Fisher, the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever, an NBA writer for Bleacher Report, joins me on the show to discuss the NBA trade market and more. Jake, I appreciate your time, brother, and you know I want to get right into it because uh, you almost got uh, slaughtered by Celtics Twitter for saying that uh, <laughs> Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that pairing could come to an end in 12 to 14 months, uh, 12 to 18 months, excuse me. So, you know, Jake, I, I was curious from your vantage point, why do you believe that that is a possibility for the Boston Celtics coming up? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, great to talk to you. Um, and obviously, you know, I used to see you like multiple times a week at the stadiums and now it's not really, uh, I haven't really gone to many games. So, um, good to talk to you, man. Thanks again for having me. And, um, yeah, to your question, you know, like I wrote about today further in an article at Bleach Report, you know, the stuff first came out, um, on Saturday when I went on Sirius XM. Um, but there's just been, I mean, I make calls with, you know, 30 to 40 people around the NBA every week. And I just, I've never heard Jalen Brown's name been brought up more frequently than I have in the last two weeks than I did. And got to a certain point that, you know, I contacted some people close to the situation around those two players. And it definitely is something that's being discussed. And from everything I've heard by all accounts, the Celtics front office, they don't have any designs on breaking up that pairing. Like when I, I quoted an assistant general manager in the story saying that you know, when he called Boston, they say that Jalen and Jason are their only untouchables. They are their top two guys. They're building around those two dudes. But, um, and I know everyone wants to point out and why Celtics fans got a little sensitive that this came up when they had a losing streak while Jalen was hurt. And this is a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, in the bubble, and they made it back whenever the year was against Cleveland. Um, and they're young, and every team wants to win wings. I get it, but at a certain at a certain point, the NBA team building isn't two K, and these are people and human beings and coworkers involved. And if it comes to a certain point where all the important actors in the situation, let's say, all agree that. Uh, or the majority of the actors all agree that they would prefer to play elsewhere or that the Celtics would be greater benefited um, by seeing what Jalen Brown can get back on the trade market. Um, You know, that's something that I think a lot of people on the NBA from top executives to other lead personnel, they're prepared for it to happen. Not this season, but, um, in the offseason, maybe if this is another subpar 
Celtics playoff run. Um, right now, obviously, they're still kind of fighting in, in the middle of that middle pack. But, you know, if they continue to dip and continue to stay on the periphery, it's something that rival teams are definitely going to be calling and checking and seeing if Jalen Brown becomes available with the forward. You know, I certainly think for this season, Dennis Schroeder is the guy I look at being moved. I mean, we touched on it on the Hoopside podcast with Yossi Goslin, our salary cap expert, and I with um, just because Boston has a really tough time looking ahead, trying to retain him, and he's played well, so they can get something for him. I I don't see them as a necessarily a contender in the East. So I, I think the whole point of Tatum and Brown uh you know, I, and I think you might have touched on this a little bit too in, in the story and Bleacher, but they don't have a lot of other assets that teams are looking at that they would want other than maybe down the line, Marcus Smart is a guy that, you know, teams have always called on. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to supplement one of those two guys, you might have to move the other and try to build the roster in, in that way. But, you know, Jake, that's not the only guy. Those aren't the only big names in that division that that people are looking <laughs> at around the league. You know, uh, Ben Simmons has been talked about uh, at nauseum all season. And, uh, you know, I, I had heard the Pelicans discussed trading future first round picks and pick swaps with the 76ers for Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, league sources told Hoops Hype, but. I hadn't heard Brand- Brandon Ingram was not involved in the talks, I'm told, at least as of now. Um, and with Zion Williamson's latest injury setback, it's it's unclear how this could move the needle for the Pelicans and their efforts to land Simmons. But Jake, as you know, they're not the only team that's out there trying to get Ben Simmons. Uh, from your vantage point, what's the latest you've heard on Ben Simmons potentially being moved for the deadline? I, I really don't think that a deal just based on pick swaps that isn't bringing back a top 25 player to Philadelphia is going to move Ben Simmons. I just don't. I think for everyone I've spoken to around the situation, dating back to Ben Simmons' trade request, I don't know how early this, this list that the Sixers do have, but they do have a literal list. I don't know how many players are on it. It's somewhere between 24 and 30, I'm pretty sure, of guys that they view as that top 25 caliber player. Um, that all-star candidate that is going to be the partner for Joel Embiid to the 1B to his 1A to help him, the runner-up for MVP last year, compete for the championship. And until that guy presents itself, the Sixers are going to be patient and they're going to use that patience as a negotiating tool when teams call. And they know that they are potential opportunities to you know, see if Jalen Brown, for example, becomes available sometime before next season to see if James Harden ultimately decides not to go back to Brooklyn, to see if Bradley Beal, who I know just recently told Yahoo Sports that he hasn't signed his extension, um, wanting to see what Thomas Shepard and his front office can do to round out that team around him. I think for all those guys, um, a, a new contract and waiting till the offseason to sign that is beneficial for them anyway, even they, if they were to resign. But it leaves the door for a team like Philadelphia to still think, you know, we could potentially be in that situation where a sign trade may happen or just a straight up trade could happen later on in the future. Um, and they want to wait and see before giving up Ben for just a, 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 a bundle of picks. What someone told me there yesterday was moving. They don't just have to move Ben just to move him and to capitalize and waste and not waste the year of Embiid prime. They really do believe that if they move Simmons for anything less than they value him, 
they will be sacrificing multiple years of Joel Embiid's prime for not maximizing Ben Simmons as a trade asset. And their ultimate goal still remains to try to have Ben Simmons do what he needs to do to get back on the court and join them because that was their goal, I think, moving into the offseason anyway. Ben Simmons became a trade candidate when he requested it, and I think the Sixers were definitely open to moving him for someone like Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or James Harden of that caliber, even though Harden obviously was not available this summer. Um, and short of that, like they believe in Ben as their best, you know, chance right now, their best possible addition to get this team back to where they were last year as the top team in the East. Yeah, and I mean, once you kind of don't pull the trigger on a trade for a guy like CJ McCollum, who's been a borderline all-star for a while, it really speaks to them wanting that all-star caliber guy. You know, I don't think, you know, I'm just throwing out a name out here. I don't think a guy like even Christian Wood is going to move the needle for them. It has to be a guy that they really value. Christian and, Wood it wouldn't even come close to moving the needle, no disrespect to Christian Wood. Yeah, no, I'm saying, but like you talk about guys that are young, you know, out there and um, at least like on the market, it just like, it, it shows you that they, they're, they're playing like, uh, quite the game of chicken here because also Embiid just is getting like double teamed every night. It, the Sixers are not a contender right now without Ben Simmons, nor anyone is the one B to Joel Embiid. And it's, it, you know, for Simmons, he's not playing this year. He's losing a year of his career right now at, at this point. Um, you know, time will tell with him, but, um, you know, you also look around in the East and there's some other teams that are looking to be potential sellers and, and two come to mind are the Pistons and the Magic, but I'll start with the Pistons first. Um, you know, I mean, you know, multiple executives have believed the Pistons would trade Jeremy Grant because as he approaches 28, he won't fit their current timeline with the younger core and the rebuild. Um, to me, it's kind of similar to the situation with Christian Wood in Houston because he and Jeremy Grant are both going to be free agents in 2023. Um, it's interesting to me because I don't think like trading Jeremy Grant necessarily moves the rebuild further. They're not exactly uh, lighting up the wind column right now in Detroit with him. But um, when you look at Jeremy Grant, do you see a fit for him right now somewhere or a team that's going to meet what Detroit is looking for right now? So I I think Jeremy's situation reminds me more of Aaron Gordon's last year in Orlando than Christian Wood this year. Um you know, I don't I don't know what direct landing spot there could be for him right now. Uh, I can get I think we can kind of connect the dots of, of Intel, you know, where there's definitely been talks between Sacramento and Detroit about Marvin Bagley. Like, is there a way to send Jeremy Grant back there? Um, I, I don't know, but that's just, you know, something that we've heard before. Um, Denver obviously really liked Jeremy Grant um, back when they had him. I don't know if they're, I'm not a cap expert. I don't know if there's a way to figure out a way to go get him salary wise, but like Jermichael Green's salary seems to be, um, one that they are open to using to improve and you know, does, for example, um, Will Barton and Michael Green, like, does that go and get you Jeremy Grant to kind of add another piece while Michael Porter Jr. is out and you and you were kind of hoping to, you know, Nuggets had a window here if everyone stay healthy to be right in this tier with Utah and Phoenix and Golden State when like the West is open. There is, there is no Golden State Warriors of the past. There is no LeBron 
Cavs teams or LeBron Heat teams um, out there right now. Like the Nuggets were went in and made that Aaron Gordon trade and then gave Michael Porter Jr. the contract they did because they thought the time was now. If they still are of that persuasion, like maybe they go and get Jeremy. I don't know. I haven't spoken to Denver about that specifically, but um, wouldn't rule it out. Um, so those are the first things that come to mind, but I, I, I don't see there being a lot of opportunity for him to go to like a true contender right now, just based off of where every other team's salary books go. Like maybe he ends up finding his way to middle of the pack teams like Sacramento, like we talked about, um, or the Minnesotas of the world that are looking to upgrade one more piece away from uh, trying to cement themselves as being a potential playoff in team to being a surefire team that's going to make a postseason appearance. Another seller in the East I touched on, the Orlando Magic. Uh, you know, Terrence Ross has been talked about for since even last year at the trade deadline. Um, mm-hmm. You know, last season executives that I spoke to said the Magic were hoping to get multiple first round picks for Ross. Now that number <laughs> appears to hey, listen, don't shoot the messenger. Um, that that number appears to have whittled down to one first round pick. Um, you know, some executives have told me they'd consider maybe trading two second round picks to try and get Ross. I'm not sure that's going to move the needle for Orlando. Uh, what do you see for Terrence Ross's trade market looking ahead to the deadline? Well, two first two second round picks is what uh, Evan Fournier went for, right? So um, there's at least like a precedent there for a veteran win. Um, Terrence Ross has a great contract though, so that's probably why Orlando was hoping to um, get the higher value for him. And also, the Magic were—they were having a fire sale. They were trying to create bidding wars, and um, they were holding out for the top dollar. I mean, they ended up getting two first-round picks from Nick Vucevic, and they got the first, and they got RJ Barrett, who they wanted from Denver. And from what I was told, maybe maybe you heard this too, Mike, that the Nuggets were trying to send Bull Bull in that package with Gary Harris in the first round to Denver, but um, yeah, RJ apparently Hampton. RJ Hampton was, some, was someone that uh, Jeff Weltman and Orlando liked dating back to the draft and wanted and were considering when they picked Cole Anthony and they got their guy. So um, it, it makes sense to me that they have a high asking price and they're holding out to, until someone can meet it. You know, it, it was interesting to see. It, what's going to be interesting to see now, you mentioned about RJ Hampton. You got him, Cole Anthony, Mark Fultz, Jalen Suggs, all trying to fit in that backcourt. And, you know, that's not the only transition for a team where they've had to mesh a certain guard. Uh, you, you talked a little bit recently about, on Bleacher Report, about Russell Westbrook and how the Lakers had internal discussions about moving them. Uh, my question to you, Jake, is have they made outgoing calls to potentially ship him out of town? The only outgoing call that I confirmed was to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. And that was the piece of intel. I had heard Russell Westbrook was being conceptually discussed about um, by the Lakers being that, look, the Lakers, they are not the top Western Conference team that they thought they were going to be heading, heading this season. The Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis trio hasn't flourished to their top expectations that they were hoping it would. And when you look at the rest of the Lakers rocker, roster, the way, the, the way they're presently constructed to get Russell Westbrook alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis with their maximum salaries, they only have Taylor Horton Tucker, who is obviously represented by the same representation as LeBron, and Kendrick Nunn, 
who also might now be represented by Clutch. Yes. He is? Okay. And Kendrick was someone who definitely signed with the Lakers expecting the opportunity to start for them. Taylor is someone that the Lakers have I mean, they refused to put him into trade offers to go get Kyle Lowry last year when they were trying to keep the title. So I don't think they're really going to be so eager to send out Taylor Horton Tucker. The only other player on their roster, not named LeBron James or Anthony Davis, who has a salary that can go and at least get back someone of substance, is Russell Westbrook. And when you're the Lakers and, and any team in the league who has to look at their team that is not where they want it to be. You have to assess all options, how to get yourself better. And Russell Westbrook clearly is the only one or the only avenue to do so for, um, for Los Angeles. And I had heard that pretty far and wide from a couple of people. Um, and then when I did get the information that they called about Ben and the conversation pretty much was we're interested in Ben, you know, how would we get there? The obvious only solution is Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is not a player on that Sixers list that they have. Like that confirmed to me for sure that they are absolutely having those conversations. Um, but no, they, I, I, I called Cleveland and that call hasn't been made. And I really can't imagine there'd be much interest um, in John Wall heading uh, or in Russell Westbrook heading to Houston for John Wall. Um, cause then that'd be a whole nother situation that the Rockets have to deal with, with trying to have their event, their youth movement and all that type of situation. I don't want to kind of keep going down the road of, um, the outcomes to that hypothetical, but those are really the only three players that I think had the salary that are even theoretically available for a trade that could match Russell Westbrook's number, Kevin Love, um, John Wall and Ben Simmons, and there have to be other contracts moved with Love and Ben. And that just doesn't seem likely. So I don't think there's any opportunity really for Russell Westbrook to trade to change teams here outside of those guys. Could be wrong. These teams are getting more and more creative every day. Um, but I also think it's it's only responsible for the Lakers front office to consider those options. You talk about teams considering options. Uh, you touched a little bit too on the Brooklyn Nets with Joe Harris and Nicholas Claxton. Now, from my vantage point, the Nets drafted Dayron Sharp in the event that they either traded Nicholas Claxton or he ended up getting a massive offer and restricted free agency that, you know, they couldn't match. I would agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think out of those two, um, you know, Joe, I mean, Joe's the only remaining member of that team's original rebuilding core with Jared Allen, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie gone. Um, you know, for him, it's just been a question of can he duplicate the regular season production and shooting in the playoffs. So, in years past, like even when Joe was uh, going to be a free agent, like the Nets wanted a lottery pick if they were going to even think of trading that guy. Uh, you know, Claxton. Other teams think he can do more than what he's shown in Brooklyn, especially like as a ball handler, a handler. So. Uh, to me, I think they've got nice assets there, but I don't. I don't know if I necessarily see the Nets moving one of those guys. Had had you heard anything more other than them, you know, listening around the league in case uh, teams called on either of those two? So I put it in the story, obviously, and I had a quote in there from an assistant general manager saying that Joe Harris's name being available keeps popping up. Um, and I wrote surprising being that everything you said, he is such a core member of that 
franchise and has been there and been the bridge from the Kenny Atkinson era to the super team era. He fits so perfectly along those superstars. Um, I did hear from someone in Brooklyn today since the story came out. They did push back on him being available. Um, so perhaps teams who had early conversations with Brooklyn about Joe and they didn't categorically shut them down. Maybe that's all this was. And um, it just it's just early and Brooklyn was kind of open and listening. Um, but on their side of things, according to this person I spoke to this afternoon, um, and, I, and I think this is going to be the message that Steve Nash says whenever he speaks to the media next and when Sean Marks and Natalie talks next, and they do get the question, they're going to deny that Joe's available. Um, so I did want to say that and be fair to that situation, but um, the, 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 they didn't say anything about Nick Claxton. Um, and his name's been out there since the draft. And like you talked about, the day around shop of it all, the fact that Nick is going to face free agency this summer, and it could be potentially very lucrative. Um, I do think he's a candidate to get moved. Um, and his salary would be the outgoing um, contract in a deal that they could use one of their trade exceptions to take back somebody of substance. I don't know who that player would be, um, but I do think it's an intriguing opportunity for Brooklyn and they're going to make wonky moves like that. Like they, they, they wanted to hold on to Spencer Dinwiddie ultimately at the trade deadline to try to um, use him as a sign trade candidate um, for this free agency. And they've done other wonky things um, with, you know, stealing kind of Bruce Brown and that Landry Shamit. Um, uh, I'm blanking on who was the outgoing piece in that deal. Um, was it Landry? I don't remember. Luke, the Luke Kennard, Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown situation. Like that was, that, that was some pretty uh, shrewd cap maneuvering from Brooklyn. So I'll, I, I think they'll be aggressive here. Um, and trying to do do those little things, but I don't think Joe Harris seems to be a likely candidate to trade. I I pretty much see it that way. And you know, with Claxton, I could see maybe after the year, depending on what kind of restricted free agency offers he's getting, if they maybe consider a sign and trade. But time would tell on that. I mean, also one thing of note, like Nicholas Claxton did switch agents recently. He's he's joined CAA now, so. You always wonder if uh, that is going to have any impact on any potential trade talks. Um, you know, you look at you, you know what's well, also usually assigned someone who wants to uh, better position themselves ahead of a new contract. Also true. I mean, I think it's going to be it'll certainly be interesting to see what he gets. Uh, you know, Yosi Gazan, our cap expert, talked about how it's a dry market right now. Looking in the summer, what few teams have an outright cap uh-huh. space, so they would have to you know get creative, but. You know, we saw it last year. It was tough for restricted free agents. No one signed an offer sheet. Everybody did sign and trade. So we'll see if it goes that route again. Um, you know, Jake, one guy that's kind of been quiet lately that we heard a lot over the summer, uh, Toronto Raptors guard Goran Dragic. I mean, ultimately for mm-hmm. me, I see this ending in a buyout. So Dragic can try and join a playoff contender or a championship contender. Um, I don't, you know, Dallas obviously was linked to him for a long time potentially as a trade partner uh, when the Kyle Lowry stuff was going down and if they were going to expand that trade. But I don't know if I see him being moved in a trade. What do you think? No, the, the last I've heard is that there's there's no trade chatter really um, for him at all. Um, I think that is the clear goal that um, 
the rappers have, but ultimately, like, it's very similar to the Andre Drummond situation in Cleveland last year, where the salary number is just really high. And for a team to match that number, they're going to have to give up some player of substance. And are you going to give up a draft asset and a player that you like for one year of Dragic? Like, probably not. Um, especially when there's a consideration just like the Drummond, where if you don't make the move for him, you're going to have a shot him on the buyout market. And I, and I agree with you and have certainly heard that uh, he said it publicly that he wants to go to Dallas and the Mavericks seem to still kind of be preparing for him to head their way at some point. I'm saying that they're like turning down deals for other guards, but I think it's, it's uh, like everyone's looking at their options and thinking about their potential opportunity on the table. And I think Rogers is one of them for Dallas for sure. You know, another guy that had been kind of quiet for a little bit and just played the other night because the Knicks were decimated with COVID protocols is Kevin Knox and, you know, over the summer, some teams thought maybe the Knicks uh, would consider giving him up for a second round pick. Uh, you know, when I had spoken to some executives, I'm not sure how much his value has fluctuated much, if at all. He really hasn't played much this season. Um, you know, there are some teams out there that think he could be a good reclamation project. Um, when you look at Kevin Knox, have you heard any specific teams reaching out to the Knicks to inquire about his availability? Haven't heard anyone reaching out about him, but definitely expect the Knicks to try to see what's available. Um, his name was definitely on the trade market uh, last draft season. Um, and he's obviously not in the rotation. He's someone who has that sticker value of being a former lottery pick that, yeah, I mean, I definitely think a team will give him a shot at least of coming here. When he, when he becomes a free agent next. Um, but will some team be willing to trade a second-round pick? Maybe not. Um, maybe there's a Martin Bagley opportunity with Sacramento. I haven't heard that. I don't want to get aggregated and say that I said that's a conversation, but um, something like that, or maybe another downtrodden uh, former lottery pick can get swapped for him. But I don't see a team give, like, like a Terrence Ross, for example, who can – give you legitimate playoff minutes can go for two second round picks. You're going to give up one for Kevin Knox. So you don't know what he even is in the NBA. That's not exactly an easy proposition. I think for uh, an NBA team to consider. I think the only consideration there would be if you get him, uh, you try to get his bird rights and he's younger. If you maybe you're, if you're a rebuilding team, I could see that maybe um, in comparison or a team that's like a, Maybe not a playoff contender, but a team that's like just, I don't know, not not in the barely in like the play in uh, bracket. But, you know, you touched on Marvin Bagley. Let's take a look out west for a little bit. You got De'Aaron Fox. Um, You know, I I think some people wondered, you know, you talked about Philly's list, like if De'Aaron Fox would have been a guy that fit that top 25 list in a potential Ben Simmons trade. And, you know, if they wanted to add shooting too, maybe you expand it to try to get Buddy Heald. Um, what do you see for those two in particular when it comes to the trade market, referring to De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald? Yeah, Buddy Heald's definitely been open for trade uh, possibilities for a while now. He, he kind of um, was. He kind of was traded to the Lakers. Like I, he kind of was traded to the Lakers. I mean, I mean uh, yeah, you go. No, like he, he was like he, before, like the Russell Westbrook trade went down, like. Buddy Hill thought he was going to the Lakers. 
he definitely did. And, you know, there's the Montrez Harrell from what I was told was like ready to go to Sacramento. It was yeah. a done deal. Um, so, yeah, that clearly goes to show that he is eligible to move here, let's say. And that's a valuable piece. I mean, his, his, shooting, his shooting efficiency fluctuates, but some of the people who can pull up off the dribble from that deep and have his size. Um, I mean, defense has never really been like a calling card, obviously, um, but he'll have, he'll have interest from people. Um, you know, as it relates to Ben Simmons, I, I just, at this point, I haven't heard that the Aaron Fox has been made available. And I also don't know how much interest he would have amongst Philly officials now being that Tyrese Maxey has flourished. And I don't know if they view De'Aaron Fox as an obvious upgrade to Tyrese Maxey. And I don't think they, I don't think, I don't know if they would view De'Aaron Fox as a piece that really elevates their championship window alongside Joel Embiid. At some point you got to figure out, you know, if you're going to even be able to get more than that for Ben Simmons, time will tell. I think Fox is a decent player. I wonder about his salary, though, um, you know, long term. But, you know, kind of wrapping up at least some more on the West, um, you know, you've got some teams that I could see looking to make moves like the Pelicans, the Rockets, and the Blazers. Those were just three teams that stuck out to me. You know, the Pelicans, Josh Hart's contract. Um, Brandon Ingram is an attractive name to other teams. Uh, you know, you got Christian Wood on the Rockets, and obviously they're going to look to see what the market has for Eric Gordon. He doesn't fit their timeline. And with the Blazers, CJ McCollum, Robert Covington, and Nurkic. When you look at those three teams, what do you what do you foresee heading? You know, what are we now? Uh, two months away from the trade deadline. Two months, yeah. Um, you know, the Pelicans are going to be buyers as long as they have a realistic chance that Zion Williamson can come back and come back healthy soon. Um, Jackson Hayes is the name I've heard that they're making available there. Um, for Portland, it's definitely Yusuf Nurkic and Robert Covington, I think, have the most likely opportunity to get moved. Um, you know, McCollum is one of those players that theoretically has a salary that would match Russell Westbrook's. Like, is that something that the Lakers are down for that? Um, that the Blazers would want, I don't know, but that's just a possibility, just cap-wise, because outside of, like, just like with Russ, CJ's number now, I mean, it has a three or $100 million deal, and the way he started off this season, just other side of 30 now, his value is not nearly what it was. Um, and I and I am curious with at that salary number, like, what he really could get back in terms of other trade assets. Um, so I'll be curious to see what type of conversations continue to materialize about CJ. It seems like Nurkic and Covington probably um, have a great opportunity to get moved out, I would think. Yeah, especially as rentals. I, I, You know, CJ, right now, at least with Joe Cronin there, I don't know how much of a pivoting it's going to be from the Neil O'Shea era. It doesn't necessarily seem that way. They still think they're going to try to make some tweaks. You know, some other executives, if they were taking the job, told me they would do a full rebuild. Um, but ultimately it's tough when you got Dame there and he's one of the few superstars that, uh, wants to stay in Portland. But, you know, with that said, Jake, I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been, I, I've enjoyed the work you've done at Bleacher and obviously writing the book as well. 
happy to see you doing well. And I know you touched on about us like getting together at the arenas and stuff over the years. I do hope to see you soon, brother. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, my man. You too, man. Thank you for having me and uh, keep doing what you're doing too. Appreciate it, brother. It was a pleasure. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members like Jake Fisher, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Jake too at Jake L. Fisher. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours. All the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.